Well, today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I really want to address the fact that today is a new beginning uh, for so many people. We have uh, students that will be uh, beginning school or beginning school again tomorrow. Uh, We have uh, children and youth. We have college students, both here and those who have traveled to other parts of the country to go to school. Uh, The SFA students are back this weekend despite the storm. And uh, hopefully our second service will be just filled with college students and we're looking forward to that. And then when you think about teachers and administrators and coaches and professors, uh, everybody in our church either fits that category or you are related to someone who fits that category. We have some new challenges. You will have some new challenges, some new obstacles uh, that will stand before you in these days to come. And so I want us to look into scripture this morning and see what God's word has to say so far as giving us wisdom to face all kinds of battles, to face all kinds of challenges that may present themselves. How can we live triumphantly in the face of life's difficulties. And so we're going to look in 1 Samuel 17, which is the story, the very familiar story of David and Goliath. I imagine everybody here knows that story, right? You've heard a few messages on it through the years, I'm sure. Some Sunday school class lessons, vacation Bible school, that's sort of a favorite story to teach. But you've also heard it on ESPN. (laughs) You've read it in books. It's a story that everybody knows. Now, they may not know the proper biblical interpretation of the story, uh, they certainly do not know that on ESPN, and, and many people even in church do not understand the proper biblical interpretation, but at least we know the details of the story. Well, I want us to go and look at some of those common, well-known details and then go just a little bit under the surface and see if we can learn some things that can really give us tools to face the giants and obstacles that we will face, and then... I want us to see the real point of this story, which may surprise you. The real point of this story, I think, is a great encouragement to, to everybody in, in, in every category, no matter what you are facing, but especially uh, for those uh, whose new school year will begin tomorrow. And so there's much to read. Uh, We're going to skip around a little bit. We're going to leave a lot out, I know, but uh, you don't want to be here for three hours, so uh, I'm going to be selective this morning. But I want you to get the gist of the story. So we're going to start in verse 3. It says, the Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Uh, This is an area that you can actually go visit. I've not had an opportunity to do that. I hope I I do in this this lifetime to be able to go and see this place where where the Philistines line up on the crest of one hill and the Israelites are arrayed against them. And there's this this ravine that you could run through. It's not like a cliff. It's it's an area that you could run down and run up between them. And, And so they would line up and they could shout at one another. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites, they had been in battle for years. In fact, much of the Old Testament just really chronicles this this war between the Israelites and the Philistines. And there were times when the Israelites were the more powerful nation. There were times when the Philistines had the greater army. Generally, the Philistines were, were... ahead of the Israelites. This is the beginning of the Iron Age, if you know your, you know, your world history. 
And the Philistines were really on the cutting edge of technology. They had uh, the ability to work with iron and also to work with bronze. And so their weapons are iron and bronze. Most of the weapons at this point of the Israelites are sticks and rocks and wooden arrows. Now with some exceptions, but they, they just weren't where the Philistines were techno- with, with the technology. Uh, so, so, so the Philistines often were the stronger nation. So here they're, they're faced off uh, waiting for the battle to, to begin. Verse four says, then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Now that's pretty tall. Uh, Your Bible may not have it converted to feet and inches. It may say six cubits and a span. That works out to nine feet, nine inches. I do want you to know though, that this is one of those passages of scripture that sometimes Bible critics will use to, uh, to try to undermine the, uh, the authority of Scripture. Uh, because th- there is some confusion when you look at the different ancient Old Testament texts. Some of them say six cubits and a span. Uh, the Masoretic text says that. Some of them, like the Septuagint and the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, say four cubits and a span, which would be six feet six inches. And so there's some difference there. Now, if, if you're a student and you hear somebody say that, do not let that undermine your belief in scripture. Maybe it was, maybe the guy was nine feet, nine inches, or maybe he was six feet, six inches. Either way, he was a giant of a man. That's the point of scripture. And the point certainly can be, can be trusted. Verse five says, and he wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was swung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. And so this looked like some some mechanical man covered in all of this uh, metal, all of this armor. He was a giant of a man. You have to remember that uh, the Israelites were were short people uh, to start with. They're not very many tall Israelites. And then David, who's going to come on the scene in a few moments, uh, the Bible says in the previous chapter that he was a runt of a man. He's still just a teenager. He's still a growing boy. And so this man would have towered over David. Look at verse eight. It says, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight against each other. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, They lost courage and were terrified. So the Bible tells us that twice a day, for 40 days at this point, this this giant of a man had come out and he had taunted uh, the armies. And he had said, why don't you send somebody out and, and we'll fight. And whoever wins this battle will win the big battle, will win the war. Can't you send somebody out to fight? But 40 days, twice a day, nobody stepped forward. Now let's... Skip down to verse 17. 
It says, one day Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and also take 10 portions of cheese to the field commander and check on the well-being of your brothers and bring confirmation from them. And so a little ways away from the battle, a man by the name of Jesse, who's, uh, who had a number of sons, one of those was David, decided to send his young son David uh, with some Lunchables for his brothers who were in the battle. And he said, listen, you need to go and you need to you know, take them some food because they might be hungry. Your mom told me to do that. But go into battle, take them some food. But what I want to know is uh, how are they doing? How's the battle going? Those days you couldn't turn on Fox News. Uh, you couldn't check the Twitter feed. You, it, the only way to know anything was to send somebody to find out. And so he said, you go find out, bring back the news. Now look down at verse 20. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, uh, loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. And so uh, David was a, uh, he was a shepherd. He kept sheep. Uh, that's what the youngest son would do while the adults were out doing adult things. And uh, he finds somebody to keep the sheep and off he goes. It says he arrived at the perimeter of the camp and as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Isn't that an unusual thing for it to say? For 40 days, they've been going out and facing Goliath. What does it mean they shouted their battle cry? I mean, what did they shout? You know, we have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? I mean, <laughs> and, and, and then the, uh, the Philistines would have said, well, we have Goliath. Yes, we do. And then the Israelites would have said, good, good point. And they, you know, they went back and had supper. But it says they go out with their battle cry. I mean, they, they've got enthusiasm, if nothing else. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation against each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. And when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. And while he was speaking with them, suddenly, suddenly, as if it was a surprise to David, outruns the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath. He came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. Two important things there. These were the usual words. It reminds us that this has happened over and over and over. They've heard it again and again. But David hears it now for the first time. Look at verse uh, 25. Uh, previously, previously, I don't want to get too far here. In fact, maybe we should stop there because I, 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 I want to read further. Obviously, we're not to the fun part of the story. Uh, but, but let me stop there and, and just point out some things about the Israelites. Uh, th there were some things that were true of them that we should notice because I, th I think sometimes these same things are true of us. First of all, they were defeated. Uh, they hadn't been defeated in battle, but they were defeated mentally and emotionally for 40 days, twice a day. They had heard this giant just beat them down verbally. They were defeated. In fact, we didn't read verse 24, but perhaps we should have. It says, when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. They are just absolutely defeated. The second thing we notice about them is the Israelite army is dishonoring, dishonoring. Now, they, they were suggesting, they were saying, and the scripture suggests that uh, Goliath was, was challenging the very, the very name, the very the very uh, um, the potency of God. 
by challenging Israel and daring them to come out. He says, uh, uh, aren't you the, the, the army of Saul and the people of Israel who worship God? And so it seems like when you read this story that, that Goliath was, uh, uh, was, was profaning God. But really, the people who were, who were dishonoring God it wasn't Goliath so much. He was just a pagan man. Who cares what Goliath says about God? No, it was the, it was the Israelites who, who, though they were the army of God and fought on the side of God for God with the promise from God of victory, they were cowering in fear and refused to go forward. They were the ones who were bringing dishonor to the name of God. And then notice that they were complacent. They had just somehow learned to live with, with Goliath's threats. I'm sure the first time Goliath marched out there and dared them, uh, they all went back to their tents and said, you know, that's not going to happen again. Next time that smart mouth guy comes out, we're going to clobber him. Next time we're not, we're not going to stand and let this happen. But, but you know, it happened again that evening and, and they didn't do anything. And they, they, I'm sure they were still bothered by it, but then it happened again and again and again and again. And eventually they just learned to live with with this problem, this man, this giant of Goliath. Now, the reason that's important is because, as I said, I think a lot of us, we, we can easily end up in the same place. We can be defeated. Uh, we, we, we are just so worn down by the obstacles in life. We're so worn down by the sin uh, that, we, uh, that we face, the temptation and the, the sins that we're guilty of. Uh, maybe you fight with greed or gossip or procrastination or pride or laziness or, or lust or, or being negative all the time. And, and that can just, over time, it just beats you down so that you just don't even have the energy to go forward. We can be defeated. We can be dishonoring. You know, God wants us to live triumphant lives, but when we're living cowardly, fearful lives, then that dishonors the one whom we call our God. And sometimes we can be complacent. Uh, we, we have sin in our lives and it's, it bothers us, but just a little bit. We've learned to live with sin. Let, let, let me tell you that the, that the worst place you can be in in life is, is, is to just get used to your enemies. Just to get complacent about your sin. Just to learn to live with it. And so that's exactly where, where the Israelites were. Well, let's, let's go on in our, in our reading of this because uh, we, we know that there's a, there's a change, right? Something's going to happen. So we're, I want to begin reading in verse 25. It says, previously an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. Uh, the king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. And so here's the reward. The king had offered to give people a lot of money and to um, uh, make them exempt from taxes for the rest of their lives and their whole family and also to give away his daughter. And so that was, uh, that was a pretty valuable prize. But still nobody in the entire army, nobody took him up. They were that fearful. They were that afraid. They, they did the calculus and they, and they said, well, what good is it to be, debt, to, to be exempt from taxes if you're dead? Uh, you're, you're automatically exempt from taxes if you're dead, sort of. 
But, uh, but, but, but they were so fearful that even this, uh, even this opportunity to become rich and become a part of the family of the king, it was, it was not enough. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? So David wants to know about that. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine, David asks, that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's the most important question. Who is this? What is this obstacle that would, that would defy the armies of the living God? What is this obstacle that would keep us from, from, from living for the glory and the honor of God? Well, David talks to a number of people, his brothers. He talks to the king. Uh, but if we skip all the way down to verse 34, and all of that I'm skipping is very important. Uh, we just, because of time constraints, need to focus on just a few things this morning. Verse 34 says, David answered Saul. So Saul had gone to, David had gone to Saul, who was the king, and Saul had some bad advice. Uh, so David responds to the king and says, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. And so David said, I've faced some obstacles before. When the lion and the bear would come and they would take one of my sheep, I, 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 I didn't just defend myself. I chased the lion or bear down. I wrestled them to the ground. I, 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 I would slay the lion or the bear and take my sheep back. Verse 36, he says, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That's one of the most important things he says. Uh, that the God who rescued me before will rescue me again. The God I depended on previously, I can depend on now. God will take care of me. Now skip down to verse 40. And let's see the end of the story. And so he meets Goliath on the battlefield. It says, instead, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, uh, from the creek bed, and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was a youth, healthy and handsome. And so the Philistine says, you know, they've sent this cute little kid out here. Uh, verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the bird to the sky and the wild beast. And so this is the trash talk of the uh, of the Israelites and the Philistines. Uh, but David has some trash talk as, as well. He backs his up. Uh, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. Uh, you have defied him. Today, today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. 
And then all the world will know that Israel has a God. Now notice the, the point of all of this. The point of the, of, of the struggle, the point of the, the victory that God would give well, was not so that David would have a story to tell. It, it wasn't just so that David would have a victory to notch in his belt. It was so that all the world would glorify the God of Israel. Let, let, us, let us remember when we face battles, when we face obstacles in school and work and in life and family, we often pray, we should pray, that God will get us through this, but let's remember that God, his, his goal is to bring honor and glory to himself. What we should pray is, God, get me through this so that you will be honored in this, so that, so that people will see the victory and not say, well, look, Noel did a good job, or, or look, Andre did a good job, but that God would give victory so that people would say, what a great God they serve. And so he goes on, verse 48. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and swung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. Now let me share with you three or four things you know, depending on our time, three or four things that, uh, that, that, that we can learn from this story that will tell us how God wants us to triumph as we face our giants in life. Number one, we must decide that we have had enough. I think the difference, the biggest difference between the Israelites and David, between the army who were, who were, who were cowering behind, behind the lines and, and David who stepped forth to battle Goliath was that uh, the, the army, the Israelite army had just learned to live with this, but David said, enough. If we're thinking about the battles that we will face, when we think about the obstacles, the temptations, the sins that hold us back, the first thing that's got to happen if we're victorious is that we've got to say, I've had enough. I'm not going to live with this anymore. I'm not going to go on with this. This isn't going to be a part of my life. I'm not going to listen to Goliath twice a day for another 40 days. I have absolutely had enough. Listen, God, if you're a child of God, God, his Holy Spirit is going to work in you to change you and sanctify you and, and, and clean you up and put you on the right path. But, but, but first, he's waiting for you to say, I've absolutely had enough. If you will go to God with a sense of desperation and say, God, I can't go on any longer battling this temptation. I can't go on any longer with this thing in my life. Whatever it is, it is that point of desperation where you're at the point where God can really do a work in your life. That's step number one. We have to say, I've had enough. All the other men in the army, thousands of men had grown to be used to what, what Goliath was doing. David was the one man who said, no, not one more time will I let this happen. You have to decide that you've had enough. Number two, you have to fight with faith. You have to fight with faith. I've been discouraged this week reading some of the commentaries and literature on this, uh, on, on this, on this story. Uh, this is a historical event 
that, that God's trying to communicate something to us in this event. And we'll see more of that in just a moment. But, but too many times, too many times people take this, this event and they, and they make it mean something that it just doesn't mean. Now, I know we have a, a lot of people here that like to read Malcolm Gladwell and, and books like that. And I like to read those books. And I've, I've read his book by this title, David and Goliath. And I, and I just want you to know that, that what he says about this uh, is, is really a disappointment. He, he is a man who, who practices scholarship most of the time, uh, but people just get this story wrong. And even good Bible commentaries will, will get this story wrong because what they'll do when they get to this part about David in the battle is they will commend his military strategy. That They will talk about how how adept he was at taking a rock and a sling and, uh, and, and throwing it so hard and so fast and so accurately. They talk about his uh, military strategy uh, where he uses his size uh, disadvantage in order to, uh, to overwhelm Goliath. But listen, Goliath didn't fall because David had a greater military strategy, a greater weaponry, a greater uh, battle plan. No, Goliath fell because David had a greater God. I mean, the, the point isn't what David was able to do. The point is what David's God was able to do. And when you read this, that's, that's clearly what the scripture is saying. Look back at verse 47 if you have your Bible open. When David was talking trash to the giant, he said, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. When the Bible talks about David's experience with the lion and the bear, when David talks about that, it, it is not because David's talking about how through the years he has honed his skills. No, he's talking about faith. He's saying, I learned when I was scared to death because I heard the approaching lion or bear and, uh, and I knew he was after my sheep and I was, I was frightened to the point of death, but I felt that God would, would protect me. And I stepped out and put my trust in God and God did protect me and I was victorious over the lion and the bear. He says, I learned something then. I, and, and it wasn't that he learned how to fight. No, he learned how to trust. He, he, he learned that, 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 that if, if he trusted in God, that God would come through. That if he leaned on God, that God would give him the victory. That's what he learned to do. It's not that he learned battle tactics. He learned to live by faith. And you know, if we're going to fight the battles that come, especially you know, the battles with the new school year, whatever battles you may be facing, we, we must learn to fight them by, by faith, by being reminded of God's track record in the past, in our lives and in the lives of others, and then knowing because God has such a track record of faithfulness that we can trust him in the future. I'll give you some examples, because this is, this is real to me. And so my oldest daughter, Hannah, has gone off to college alone. She's about eight or 900 miles away. She moved in not really knowing a soul at the school. And uh, it would be easy for Don and I to worry. But, but, but you know what God has reminded me of? It was last summer that 
my, uh, my middle daughter, 15 years old, uh, moved to Mexico, southern Mexico, not Cancun, <laughs> uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, and uh, served, served the Lord on a, on a long-term mission trip. I remember she was down there just a few days when uh, I didn't even know where Oaxaca was before she decided to go to Mexico. Um, but it was, um, she'd been down there just a few days when we turned on the television. Or actually, I think some people started texting us because they had turned on their television and uh, they saw these teacher riots in Oaxaca, Mexico. You know, you don't mess with teachers, do you? And uh, they were the, there were these big teacher riots. And, and I mean, it was bad there. They were burning down buildings and killing people. And I couldn't get Emily on the phone. We prayed and prayed and we trusted. And you know what? My God was faithful. And when I think about Hannah going off to school, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I, I could be, I, it, would, it would be very easy for me to, to, be, to be worried to death. You, you know, there, there's, some, there's some things I'm thankful for, but uh, they're probably not good things. You know, I can pull up my phone at any point because we're on like the same Apple phone plan or whatever you call it. And I can see where she is any moment of the day. And so I pull up and she's at a place and I, I don't know what that is because I don't know what anything is in that city. And then I could just look at that and worry what's happening there. What is she doing there? But you know the, re- you know the way I'm, not, I'm able to not worry is because God's track record of faithfulness with Emily gives me confidence that I can trust him with Hannah. Does that make sense? That's what David did. Uh, so we're going through a, um, a near, nearly whole house renovation. Uh, so we bought a house, we're all excited. And then the first thing we did was we tore it down. <laughs> uh, that was my wife's idea by the way, but, uh, um, and, and you know, it's just that you've, many of you have been through that. It's, it's just, it's just part of it. You know, there's, there's dust everywhere and there's dirt and, uh, uh, we, we don't have a kitchen right now. And, and, and it's just, it's just part of it. Nothing unusual. It's just part of it. And it's just, it's a strain. It's a strain on uh, family. It's a strain on marriage. It's a strain on what's going to be for dinner tonight. Um, and you know, I, I, I could, I could easily be overwhelmed by this, but you know, I think about a few years ago, our house burned down. We went through something. I mean, this is a piece of cake compared to that. And, and we went through that and, and, and you know, that was stressful and difficult. And we were going through it. I thought, God, why? I mean, we're, I'm busy trying to do other things and now I got to stop and deal with this. And, and my whole family, I mean, it affected all of us in, 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 a, in a pretty serious way. And, but you know what? God proved faithful then. And that today, that was my lion and my bear. Today, I know God will be faithful. When I think about just ministry questions here at the church and I mean, not problems, but just things that have got to be done and worked out and, 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 and worked on. And, 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 and I'm frustrated sometimes, but I think back how God has been faithful before. He will be faithful today. If we're going to fight the battles, we, we have got to fight with faith. We got we to look back to the times that God has been faithful to us and to others. That's why you need to know the story of others. Look at how God has been faithful in their lives and let that be a reminder that God will be faithful in the days to come. Now, by the way, just sort of a side lesson. So what were the most important parts of David's life? 
You know, if you were to, if you were to think, uh, I'm going to go back and, and look at the highlights of David's life, the most, and if, if you're a Bible student and you know the story of David, if you were to go back and think, what, what are the most critical parts of David's life that made him such a man of God? I don't think it's the battle with Goliath. I don't think it's many of the other victories that he had. You know what I think it was? I think it was his pasture days, P-A-S-T-U-R-E, pasture days. When he was in the pasture, tending the sheep, and he thought he was spinning his wheels, when he thought maybe, you know, my brothers are all fighting the battle, and here I am in podunk, who knows where, doing menial work. But it was in those days that God taught him to have the faith that he would need when he fought Goliath and when he wrestled with Saul and when he recovered from Bathsheba and all these other things that that we learn about in David's life. We must fight with faith. And then the third thing, very quickly, is we just must not give up. We just must not give up. It's interesting, he picked up how many stones, do you know? Five stones. Now, now it's, it's funny, you listen to, to people preach about the five stones, and, and, and I've heard every explanation uh, under the sun, that he pre- picked up five stones because... Uh, Uh, Goliath had four brothers. He picked up five stones because they represent the five foundational pillars of the faith. Or he picked up five stones because they're five uh, steps to an even uh, an evangelism presentation. Or, you know, 10 plus 2 minus 7 equals 5. I mean, I've heard all kind of wacky illustrations. You know why he picked up five stones? Do you really want to know why? In case the first one missed. Okay. Now, here's what we learned from that. Now, was it, the, was it that David didn't really trust God? No, he trusted, he trusted God. He wouldn't have gone out there. He'd have gone back home, eaten one of those Lunchables and left. No, it was because David was committed to staying with the fight till it was over. If one stone didn't do it, then he was going to try number two. And if that didn't work, he was going to try number three. And so when you face obstacles, there are going to be some times when one stone doesn't work. And when four stones don't work, we've got to be committed to staying in the fight to the end. Now, uh, here, here's what I want us to focus on. And we're going to have to, you're going to have to really listen fast. But because this last point is the most important. In fact, this is the point of the whole, the whole passage. The whole historical event is recorded for this reason. It is okay, it is appropriate to read an account like this and learn some lessons like what we've learned you know, don't give up and fight with faith and, and, uh, and the lessons that we can learn. That's, an, that's appropriate. But know this, the point of the story is really different than that. The, the whole point of everything that happens in the Old Testament, do you, do you know what the point is? This is good to know. If, if you ever get asked a question in church and you don't know what the answer is, what should you say? Jesus, okay? Because that's usually the answer. Now, so, so let me ask you, what's the point of this story? Jesus is the point of this story. In fact, for every story, for every historical event in the Old Testament, I mean, there, there are some lessons we can learn, certainly. But, but the point of it is, is Jesus. The whole Old Testament was was what occurred in order to help people anticipate the coming of Jesus. And the whole New Testament points back to the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the center point of history. Everything is about Jesus. It was interesting that... Um, after the, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were a couple of guys who knew about Jesus dying on the cross, but they did not know about him coming back to life. 
And so they were headed back home, going on a long journey back home uh, after the Passover, and they were just lamenting the fact that Jesus had died. And so Jesus joins them. And they didn't recognize it was Jesus. They just think it's another traveler. And, and so on the way back, Jesus starts talking to them about the Old Testament because they were disappointed that Jesus had died. And in Luke 24, 27, it says, then Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he had interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. It's, what it says is that Jesus took every story in the Old Testament and showed how that really pointed to Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. So... Let's get back to this story. What is the, what is the real message? Well, we can, I'll give you the point. We gain courage from the victory of Christ. That's the real point of this story. And you see this when you ask the question, who are you in this story? I mean, we've got some characters, right? We've got, we got David, we've got Goliath, we've got the Israelite army. Who are you in this story? Now, most people would answer, well, I'm David. That's why I got to fight harder and don't give up and all those things. And, but listen, you're not David. You're not David. You are the Israelites. We're represented by the people who are cowering in the corner. We're represented by the people who are cowering in front of the enemy, in front of the giant. We're the ones who are hopeless and helpless and hapless. We're the Israelite army. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one who shows up unexpectedly and stands and fights a battle on our behalf so that we can have victory, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the one who stands, who, who, who appears unexpectedly to, to stand up and, and, and have full confidence that, that the God of heaven will give victory when the God of heaven chooses to give victory. No, Jesus is David. This is really a picture of Jesus showing up and rescuing us from our enemy. Now, the real enemy that we face is what? The, the real enemy is death. The real enemy is that is the wrath of God because of our sin, the separation that we have from God. That's the enemy. And our only hope is what? Is for Jesus to show up. Is for David, in a sense, to show up. Jesus is David. And Jesus comes in and he fights the enemy. And we have victory, not because we have won it. The Israelites didn't have victory because they won victory. They got victory because David won the victory. And we have victory because Jesus has won the victory. Isn't that great news? I heard uh, uh, J.D. Greer actually read where J.D. Greer had written about this and a pastor in, in North Carolina. And he, 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 he said, imagine a, a tsunami. You know what a tsunami is, you know, a big tidal wave. Imagine you're standing in back. This happened in Southeast Asia just a few years ago, 70 feet high. They, they say, some people say that this tsunami was. So imagine you're standing on the beach and there's a wave coming at you and it's seven stories tall and it's about to just destroy you. But just before it hits, there's a crevice that opens up in the ground. And it swallows every bit of that water, every drop of that water. So, so it doesn't even splash on you. It's just right before it, it consumes you, destroys you, it's just swallowed up. What, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus, he took the wrath of God just like that. The wrath of God that was due to us because of our sin, Jesus swallowed every drop of it on the cross. Jesus faced down the enemy of death and Jesus 
one. That's, that's why we can have courage. So, when we face difficulties, when we face obstacles and hardships, let us have courage because we know that Jesus has already on our behalf defeated the real enemy. I'm going to have hardships and you're going to have some hard days, of course. But I know when I face life's hardships that the one enemy that I, that I could never have defeated, the death that's due to me because of my sin, that that one enemy has been completely and utterly destroyed because of the work of Christ. And that gives me courage before any, any enemy I face today. Let me show you a quick verse on the screen. Psalm 23, 4. I'm out of time, but I want you to see this. This is something that David wrote a little later. You're familiar with the 23rd Psalm? Let's look at this one verse. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now the valley of the shadow of death, that means a difficulty. That means I'm, I, even though I go through some hard times, this doesn't mean you won't ever have any hard times. You, there are going to be some Goliaths. So he says, even though I, I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now why will he have no fear? Because he's able to, to defeat every enemy? No, he will have no fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the reason we can have courage to face our obstacles is because Jesus has already faced the obstacle, the only real obstacle, and he's given us 100% victory. And when we know we have that kind of victory, then we can have courage to face every other battle. When I know I don't have to fear death because Jesus is taking care of death. When I know I don't have to fear the future because, because the one who is taking care of death is also Lord of the future. When I know I don't have to fear the disapproval of God because, because the wrath of God has already been taken by Jesus. When, when I know that I don't have to fear the disapproval of other people because the one who is in heaven loves me as much as he could possibly love me then I have confidence, courage to face any enemy comes my way. Here's what I want us to do just as we wrap this up. I want us to just memorize Psalm 23, 4. So we've left it up on the screen for that reason. Here's what, what I want us to do. I don't know if we've done this before or not. I know you don't like audience participation, but just for a minute, uh, we're going to have some audience participation. So I want us to read this aloud together. Okay, we're going to read it until everybody can quote it. So focus. You don't want to be the guy that keeps us here uh, through lunch. All right. You ready? We're going to memorize it. So put on your thinking caps. Let's read together. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right. One more time. Then I'm going to call on some people. All right. You ready? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There are going to be some days this year when you're going to face the shadow of death. You're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. What, what do you think it says, the shadow of death? What was the difference between death and the shadow of death? Well, what's the difference between getting, getting hit by a truck or the shadow of a truck, right? There's a big difference. 
So you're going to face some hard times. Donna, me, you, the girls, there's going to be some hard times. But that's the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. Because Jesus is our David. And he has won the ultimate victory. And I know that he is with me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Head bowed, eyes closed, let's pray. Father, I, it's just in me to try to be self-sufficient. I, I don't like people to help me. I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to admit I need help. I want to fight my own battles. I want to win my own wars. But Father, I know, you know, in my moments of honesty, I, I know how weak I am. And I face all kinds of obstacles that I can't overcome. I face all kinds of difficulties that I'm not strong enough to, to, to defeat. But Father, I don't need to because you are my father. And I pray that from the story of David and Goliath, I, 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 don't, I don't learn to, you know, to, new battle techniques, new strategies, new self-improvement plans. But Father, I learn to trust you and to know that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil for you are with me. And I will lean on you with thanksgiving as I face life's most difficult hardships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I want us to sing. If the Lord's led you to respond, we invite you to come as we sing together.